0: Would you please stand with me for reading of the scripture for today? The scripture today from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and all the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This fulfilled the words spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and much grieving. Rachel, weeping for her children. And she did not want to be comforted, because they were no more. The Word of God for the people of God. I have to admit that I have no Hamiletical lack. Hamiletic, it's... uh, um, the the art of preaching and some pastors like a senior pastor of the church finds it particularly easy to go to a Taco bell talk to someone in front there and find the the, a philosopher or somebody talking about asking existential questions then she goes to rite aid and find the story there i don't know how she does it sometimes we get a break Sometimes we hear a low-key confession, which is actually a misdemeanor, shoplifting crime that we heard on Christmas. If you miss the Christmas Eve service, please go back. Not online. Go to Home Depot and ask for security tapes. You know what happened there. By the way, Pastor Chris told me today she found the receipt. So we can be safe that we don't have to raise money for bail. So, if you prepared some aside, put it in the church budget. We're safe for this year. When I grew, so my stories in my illustrations—it's hard to find. And Pastor Chris, I think she has the ability to read your mind. She comes to me and says, Vadim, I have the story for you." I got excited. Not very often you get. A gift. that's like magicians sharing their secrets. I said, great. Does that story involve overhearing a couple arguing in a coffee shop? Or maybe it involves, um, I don't know, maybe rescuing cats? Or talking to a scientist who happens to be a relative? What's the story? And she said, yes, it's uh, Matthew chapter 2. And it begins something like this. When Herod Found out from the Magi. I don't want this story. The Christmas is not quite over yet. I mean, I see a few new people, um, new faces in the church. Maybe it's new to me. I've been here for three years. Somebody a couple of weeks ago came and welcomed me to the church, which is fantastic. So, if, and if you want to be known in the church, it's not a bad idea to come more often than twice a year on Christmas and Easter. But some of you here faces a problem with people traveling. And we know that Christmas is not here because you're still staying in people's houses. And the key is no, not overextend the hospitality. Christmas is not over yet. And by the way, I think the, the foreign friends, the Magi, gives a perfect example how to celebrate Christmas. You've heard this before. They asked for directions, left the gifts, and left quickly. That's how we should celebrate Christmas. But you just reduce it. That's why they called wise. It's not in the Bible that people call them wise. It's just say Magi. They called wise people. So I left with Herod, who goes on a bloody rampage simply to protect his power, and the baby who was just born who perceived to be a threat. I can't seem to have any luck finding compelling stories. So I turned to the superheroes that I was forced to like. In the very vulnerable adolescent age. See, in America, I discovered when we came, twenty-three years ago, I discovered there were superheroes like Superman and the Catwoman and the Spider Dude and the Superwoman. In Russia, we didn't have any of that. In the Soviet Union, this is my this is the superhero. I was ask and require to read at school. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna read you a larger quote than you see on the screen. But it gets you a feel of it. But then what about the children? How will we ever account for their sufferings? For the hundredth time, I repeat, there are many questions that could be asked. But I ask you only one about the children because I believe it conveys fully and clearly what I am trying to tell you. Listen, even if we assume that every person might suffer because his suffering is necessary to pay for eternal harmony, do we still, do still tell me, for the, God's sake, where the children come in? I want to dissociate myself from it all. I have no wish to be a part of the eternal harmony. It's not worth one single tear of the murdered little girl who beat her breast with the tiny fist, shedding her innocent tears. It's not worth it because that tear will have remained unatoned. And those tears might, must be atoned for. Otherwise, there can be no harmony. I was the hero with, that we were supposed to like. Not an atheist yet. But no longer a believer, Ivan Karamazov. From Fyodor Mikhailovich Dostoevsky's novel *Bratia Karamazov, or also known as *Brothers Karamazov*. I was translating for a group of missionaries in '95, in Saint Petersburg, Russia, and they asked me a question: When you go to Russia, they say, when we go on the street, we yet. They they were there for about a week and they said we go through the streets and we cannot find anybody smile on the street. What is that? Imagine if you're forced to read this at the age of 14. How can you smile after this? But in that dialogue between Ivan Karamazov and his brother, Alyosha, who's trying to deface, who hold on to his faith, there's something that comes from this passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew we read today. Does that seem right to you that because Jesus' life would be spared the innocent children in Bethlehem? Is that the end of Christmas for us? And why does Matthew do this? We've been talking about Grinch for a few years. Herod, did they say Grinch. Herod's been our Grinch for the last few weeks. First, I thought, why are we spending so much time with this power monger who was known for his absolutely ruthless nature? Even his bosses back in Rome were afraid of Herod. There was a saying among the governing elite in Rome that it's better be Herod's pig than Herod's son because he murdered three of his sons whom he perceived to be a threat to his power. He was definitely acting out of his nature. There's nothing particularly special about Herod. But why do we talk about him? Wouldn't Christmas be much better without Herod? I mean, imagine that he doesn't exist. I think life in general would be much better without Herod. But this is maybe precisely what Matthew is trying to tell us. But this is the difference between the real life, the truth about life, in life as we wanted to have it or imagine. This is the difference between the idea of life and the real life, because in the real life, what makes the life real is presence of the Herod. And the idea of Christmas and the reality of the months of December are very different things. The entire series has been about looking at the reality of the Advent and what it means to us is, of course, with the brilliant pitch of our fearless leader, we've been looking at this Advent stories and the story from Matthew who lays it all out as it is. And we've been unwrapping or speaking in a sort of fancier terms. We've been deconstructing the Christmas in Advent and finding out something that really speaks to the very reality that we're in. And today is the last, sort of wrapping the final scene of this Nativity story in Bethlehem. But is Christmas over. The story of Jesus is more than just a fairy tale of -of out-of-towners who are walking around Bethlehem and see the neon signs that says, No vacancies. No room for travelers in a sleepy small town in Bethlehem is the list of the problem, according to Matthew. The bigger problem is not what is happening in the darker barn where humans have to do something to have the baby among the animals. The animals that Matthew directs are not in Bethlehem. They're in the capital city. In the holy city of Jerusalem. And the smell of the animals in the manger perhaps is far less offensive than the stench that comes from the most important place in the kingdom, from the head of the kingdom. Herod is part of life. Jesus did not say anything yet, neither acted, there was no healings yet, there was no remarkable and miraculous things happening, no bread multiplied. There was this babe laying in the manger and two refugee parents who are trying to make it to survive and to save their son, going back of all places to Egypt. No sermons preached, no tables turned. But the ugliness of human selfishness, hatred, resulting in violence and death of the innocents was already exposed. The fact that Jesus would return with his parents back to Judea and there will be already different Herod there. And after that Herod, we get lost with these Herods. I get always confused them, Herod the Great, Herod the Great, Herod the Antipas. There's so many Herods that following. Maybe the point that Matthew trying to make, it doesn't matter which Herod is always going to be a Herod somewhere. There's always going to be someone who wants life, who wants to exercise power, inflict violence. It doesn't matter. So Herod, in this case, just impersonification. Of this darkness in the dark reality of human existence. I find the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest theologians who died being executed by the Herod, one of the Herods of the last century, Adolf Hitler. Bonhoeffer, a theologian, a pastor, one of the most brilliant minds on ethics and philosophy and theology, died just a few days before the war was over. He wrote this in his Reflection on Christmas. For the great and powerful of this world, there are only two places in which their courage fails them, of which they are afraid deep down in their souls, from which they shy away. These are the manger and the cross of Jesus Christ. No powerful person dares to approach the manger, and this even includes King Herod. For this is where thrones shake the mighty fall, the prominent perish, because God is with the lowly here the rich come to nothing because god is with the poor and the hungry and the rich and satisfied he sends away empty before mary the maid before the manger of christ before god in loneliness the powerful come to naught. they have no right no hope in the light of that i'm a little worried i'm not worried as much as how we're going to unwrap and deconstruct and how we're going to talk about Christmas. What worries me reading these words from Matthew, how Christmas unwraps and deconstructs me, what it says about me, because I'm finding in myself this ambition, this looming ambition for self-realization, this little fascination and maybe low-key hunger for power, This is that, in my nature, a reluctant willingness to serve the evil structures of Rome for the sake of personal comfort. And, of course, protecting my way of life more than I care to protect the lives of others. When I I read the description of Herod, I think of uh, words that came from Diana Henricus in her book, Wizard of Lies. remember a few years ago, maybe a decade ago, there was a story of Bernie Madoff. Bernie scammed close to $65 billion, as a billion. I mean, the, the charities, the disabled people's funds, retirements. He took it all and wasted and stole all this money. And people could not believe how who can take money from, from disabled children, from aged adults. Uh, enorm- all the charities, many people were trusting him with enormous amount of money. How could he do that? Diane Henriquez, in her assessment, she, is the, um, she was a, at the time, I think, New York Times reporter, writing a book about him. She says, so to insist, as too many of his victims have, that Bernie Madoff was not fully human, that he was a beast, a psychopath, a facile copped out one last comforting delusion that will leave us forever vulnerable to the seductive spells that all Ponzi schemes cast. Madoff was not inhumanly monstrous. He was monstrously human. He was greedy for money and praise, arrogantly sure of his own capacity to pull it off, smugly dismissive of skeptics, just like anyone who mortgaged a house to invest in tech stocks or taped the off-limit university fund to gamble on a new business, or put all their retirement savings into a hedge fund they did not understand, or cheated a little on the tax return, or the expense account or the spouse. Just like us, only more so his imagination constructed a soaring scaffold of deceit that towered one simple cover stories we were occasionally hammered together. Incarnation. God becoming a human being is more than a story of a natural birth under unnatural circumstances. But God disrupting and deconstructing and boldly and profoundly changing earthly power structures. God did not come. Jesus did not come to rearrange the furniture on the Titanic. The divine revelation in Jesus forever shook any foundation of human social structures and everything that we based except the sacrificial love. But let's set aside the philosophy with just a moment, because these words still ring very loudly. In my ear, reluctantly goes to the side of Ivan Karamazov saying, but how about children? How about that cry of Rachel? I think the closest I ever came to hear that cry was in the spring of 1986. We were awaking by the noise early in the morning before sunrise. The machines started going through the streets of my hometown of Odessa. We couldn't understand why all of a sudden our streets are being washed with the machines. We all stepped outside and as the sun was breaking Up and the first beams were licking the streets, we saw the buses of people that going through the streets. We did not know anything about Chernobyl for about three days. This was already three days later and when we looked at the buses I will never forget the faces that I see there because you see the bus is full of children, 50 to 100 children on the bus and all looking in the window and all I could see the bald heads and the black dark eyes staring at us. Imagine hundreds of them passing by. They were all passed to the seaport of Odessa, put on the ships and sent to Cuba for rehabilitation. I will never forget those mothers whose children were not fortunate enough to make it, hundreds and hundreds of them. And the cries at the funerals, at the cries that were heard, you can see the women who run out of tears and their broken vocal cords could not make sound anymore, just open mouth and a face change. That voiceless cries, probably the loudest thing I've ever heard, say, what does it have to do today? It was 30 years ago. Do we realize that the Rachel's cry rings so true today? In the past two years, our governments somehow, and it seems to be so easily, just took all the limitation on the nuclear arms race. Chernobyl seems like a little match, a little spark, comparing to what can happen. And we somehow moving on with our lives with this. Is Rachel still crying? Is Rachel still crying when the 1.5 million children in California alone live below the poverty level? In our own neighborhood, 40% of the children, schools qualify for free lunch, which which means that can be the only meal they get. And the weekends, when we all come to enjoy church, when we have a breakfast and a potluck afterwards, these children have long weekends, long, cold, and hungry weekends. Is Rachel still crying? I wonder if this voiceless pantomime of anguish touches us today. And I have to give you more facts. But the breakdown of values, the sense of loyalty, still looming racism, xenophobia. Not in my backyard mentality. Rachel still weeps. She runs out of tears. Her local, her vocal cords shot. And her babies are crying. What shall we do with that? Is this the end of Christmas? Is this the end of life? But Matthew brings and quotes Jeremiah with a particular purpose. What he says is the Herod's always going to be Herod's. And they're always going to be Herod's. And Herod's do what Herod's do. But Jesus' miraculous rescue is the evidence that the author of the gospel will no longer be silent and passive toward the decay of humanity, but God will act along the path. God will act, but not according to our preconceived ideas what God should be doing. We can spend a lot of time, and I know I'm getting a little older. Please remember that when I speak with the accent, my sermon is 20% longer. So, manuscript-wise, I'm still okay. I always get in trouble with my preaching classes in the seminary. You have to turn in the certain size manuscript, but then you have to go a certain time. So, I hope you have a few more minutes because this is very important not to miss. Rachel crying this quote from Jeremiah It's only one of the little things that Matthew does to make sure that he connects the story of Jesus birth to the entire body of the old testament and the legacy that is happening there just the magi that he calls who are the magi this is the people who come to us and we hear the first time we meet the people magi in the book of daniel here's the connection and now the connections come all over, over the place the, 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 the story of persecution of the babies, the connection, the parallels with the story of Moses. Matthew is working really hard to say the coming of Jesus comes, and in, 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 in it's a chapter of the much bigger, it's an act in a bigger drama of God's work and his redemptive work, and this connects with our history and everything else. But the final point he makes. this quote from Jeremiah. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to mention that the chapter of Jeremiah, F.T. Florence once said that the mentioning cry of Rachel is only one gloomy note. What is a chapter full of joy? Jeremiah 31 starts with these words. At that time declares the Lord, I will be their God and all of their families of Israel. And they will be my people. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. This is Jeremiah 31. And now the verse 15 that we already heard in Matthew. The Lord proclaims a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and wailing. It's Rachel crying for her children. She refuses to be consoled because her children are no more. And then follows this. The Lord proclaims, keep your voice from crying and your eyes from weeping because your endurance will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of their enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return home. Rachel weeping. There's only one gloomy note in the chapter full of joy. And everyone who is familiar with the, with the Scriptures will realize why Matthew's place is there. This is not the worst to discourage, but to bring the context and what is happening, to elevate the importance of the moment in the profound shift, the tectonic shift, of what is happening in the history, but is with the hope. For Matthew, Jesus is not a privileged child who gets to live, but the embodiment of Israel, who now has a hope of being delivered? Is Advent over? Is Christmas over? Christmas should not be about feeling good, or even worse, feeling good about ourselves, but more about being open to the goodness of God who disrupts our self made kingdoms. How far are we willing to go? To do what is good for us and how far God is willing to do exactly the same to do what is good for us. I hope these paths overlap what God is doing what we're doing but do I realize that we cannot find the right path unless we get to the correct starting point and the starting point in this lowly town of Bethlehem when something is happening in this little place that this journey begins. It is not safe in this world. There will be Egypt's, and there will be Nazareth's, and there will be Jerusalem's. There will be Samaria's. And there will be Golgotha. Many of us have our own share of Egypt's, and Nazareth's, and Samaria's, and Jerusalem's. Many of us have herods hovering above that the only two places the matter for us might be Bethlehem and Golgotha. And the both of them are about life and death and what it means to be human. Yes, we might not be ready to move away from Christmas. Wrapping paper is still in our trash cans outside. It still smells like cinnamon and cinnamon and vanilla in the house, the guests are still might be in your place and you're asking them a question, how's the weather looking tomorrow? People, did you just ask that question? Somebody's laughing. It's a good time to travel tomorrow. Tell your guests the pastor said so. As Jesus, no crying he makes. We're saying, "We love that." But Matthew messes it all up for us. Matthew wants us to keep in mind the full story of the birth, when the heaven opened and the earth closed over the many lives of the innocent ones. And this is the story of the ones who came with courage. And the learned foreigners and outsiders who were welcomed against the cowardness and violence of the monstrously human ruler and those who were willing to execute his orders. Jesus has not done or preached anything yet. But we already understand that Christmas is becoming about two things. And the two gifts. First is the promise that God is with us, Emmanuel. And second is the light of Bethlehem, star that illumines the darker place of our existence, either in lowly mangers or in high places. Christmas is the moment of truth about who God is and who we are and the question is can there ever be end of christmas so they passed the sign that says you're living bethlehem and i know jesus is still young but this is christmas maybe let's imagine that he looks at his mom and dad And they could swear to hear these words that every child asks. Even before you leave the driveway, what does the every child ask when you travel somewhere? So, church, are we?